Alright, this is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. You can pull that close up, Norman. <laughs> and uh, this is the A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! We have a fantastic guest, Claudia. What is your last name, Claudia? Rosa. Claudia yes. Rosa? Rosa, yeah. Claudia Rosa and Guillermo. And Guillermo, I'm sorry, your last name? Ornelas. Guillermo Ornelas. I'm sorry. Guillermo Ornelas. Guillermo Ornelas. Guillermo Ornelas. Okay. And um, you guys, uh, I'm looking at a poster. It's the Prita Project. Yes. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? The Prita Project is, when I conceived it, it was an an homage Mm -hmm. to the Cuban-American playwright Dolores Prita. Mm -hmm. She unfortunately passed a few years ago. But she was, she was really groundbreaking. She mm-hmm. was a huge influence in my life and in, I think, many, particularly Latinas' lives. Mm-hmm. She wrote, she started writing poetry in like the late 60s, 70s. She started writing plays 79 into the, in, and then going forward. Mm-hmm. She was a founding member of Latina magazines. Mm-hmm. And people, she wrote this really famous column, like I think every Latina mm-hmm. grew up reading, yeah. called Dolores Dice. Yeah. But nobody knew it was her. Wow. Because oh. it, was, it was a really different, like the logo was really different. Mm-hmm. So people didn't think it was that Dolores. Mm-hmm. And I had done some of her work, and it just this, you know, the past couple years, I was just putting these different pieces together mm-hmm. and we've mixed it with dance we've mixed it with Cuban music mm-hmm. and just it came together and I met another playwright mm-hmm. to put this together yeah and that's what we're doing Mission Cultural Center yeah. helped us we got grants and fantastic and we'll talk more about that mm-hmm. uh, Norman as I begin uh, our podcast although I know because we've spent a lot of the no, weeks this, together this week, <laughs> has, this week <laughs> has been if not all mostly yeah. you can pull the mic close to you I when we don't, don't – I'll let you go ahead. Okay. When when you're talking, you can pull close to you and then when Guillermo – so what's sure. happening is Guillermo and Norman are sharing the same mic. So Okay. There you go. Um, it's all been it, – not all. It's mostly been four men, four men in Paris. Mm-hmm. I finally just yesterday went, okay, I need a break. But it's been uh, – we've been in rehearsal for four men in Paris, and it's starting to take a nice shape. And mm-hmm. we're getting a lot of wonderful support from the Douglas Morrison Theater, so – yeah, yeah, I, I have to give great praise to the Douglas Morrison. Uh, they've been fantastic, and um, and also um, John and Karen Ritchie. Um, yeah, with um, Plethos. Plethos. They they've done been fantastic. It's been fantastic. I was just telling Craig Dickerson. Uh, we did a podcast earlier. It's been a mixture. The rehearsals have been a mixture of, of course, basic structure, but also. Education, because we're, mm-hmm. you know there are a few millennials who are in the cast, mm-hmm. and sort of educating them on Black history, because right. they're uh, they're <coughs> taking on roles who are historic figures. That's, that's the most exciting thing for mm-hmm. me this week was um, I came across a com- you know I love comic books I mm-hmm. came across a comic book of uh, Sartre, mm-hmm. and so I like wow I've never really read about him I've only read a few things like I knew. You know, at one point Hollywood was trying to woo these Frenchmen to come mm-hmm. over. And, you know, yeah, you're 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 a playwright. Why don't you write a movie? And they, apparently, they all hated it when they did it. Um, but this was a comic book about his life. It is so whimsical, mm-hmm. and it basically gives the impression that from like the age six, 
this guy was on this trajectory. One of the things I didn't know about him is he turned down the Nobel Peace Prize. I didn't know that. Or not Peace Prize, the Nobel Prize for Literature. Yeah. I think it was literature. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, they, they nominated him. Mm-hmm. When he heard he was nominated, he wrote a letter to say, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't want to do it. They didn't get the letter before mm-hmm. they announced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he had to refuse the prize. Wow. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, it was just it was just amazing. And also, um, I was in Paris this spring, and I went to the cemetery where he's buried with uh, Sartre. Yeah, yeah, De Beauvoir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were both. I mean, it's you know they they share a, a crypt, a yeah. t- uh, not a crypt, a tomb. Yeah, you know they're. Yeah, they were lifelong partners, and yeah. um, one character that I have in my play to put you guys in the loop. Basically, I wrote a play for men in Paris, and it'll be. In the second week of October, October the 12th through the 14th, at the Douglas Morrison Theater. And it's basically about these expatriates, uh, Richard Wright, James Baldwin, Ollie Harrington, and Chester Himes, who go to Paris. And they uh, meet Sartre and a bunch of other folks. And they're basically three storylines that are going on. And it's interesting learning, as we go through the rehearsal process, the Mm -hmm. history Right. And all the little stories mm-hmm. of, of all these, you know, wonderful characters. And basically, <coughs> I mean, it also ties in with, you know, let's say um, Dolores Prida, uh, where you have a minority who's trying to ingrain themselves into, you know, how what's the best way of saying it, white society, mm-hmm. and are resisting. You know, there's a resistance, you know, whether you are Latino, whether you're black, Asian, mm-hmm. gay, lesbian, it's all, you know, a recurring theme. Which I'm sure you can uh, recognize. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, there have been some current events, interesting current events. Uh, yeah. The Kavanaugh hearings that's been going on. <laughs> the the, uh, the rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> as much as it can be. I mean, I don't know how much what the Democrats can do. You know, well, all the Democrats, what they've done is is kind of nice that they've said, okay, this this weird designation of classified documents which apparently has never existed before mm-hmm. we're not going to honor that that's that's ridiculous and we're not going to honor that so they're putting more information about them i i have mixed feelings about the whole thing honestly cuz ultimately what these hearings should be about is whether or not he's qualified right yeah. and i don't like his politics but you cannot say this man isn't qualified they they picked a really good candidate for the right wing. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. they could have picked somebody less right wing. Yeah. But they're in power, and one of the senators even said that. So we're in power, and you expected us to put up a liberal nominee? Yeah, I mean, there's not much that – there's not much resistance that can be done. I feel horrible for women because Roe v. Wade is – Oh, is, it won't is, just be women. We'll be – go yeah. ahead. Feel free to jump in. Please, anyway. please do. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it does. It does, as you were saying, it affects everyone. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's that, that place that we're at mm-hmm. that you're right, and, you know, he is qualified. Right. Mm-hmm. But He's a qualified judge. But mm-hmm. if he has certain, like, presets, right. yeah. he, he goes in. Okay, I'm going right. to get rid of Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. The president cannot be indicted. Right. If he comes in with that, I mean, right. then, then I think we're in a gray area. Right. Where, yeah, you're qualified. Mm-hmm. Right. But is part of qualification yeah. Yeah. having a more open mind or yeah. the precedence that he supported? So yeah, yeah, you're talking about prejudice. Is he mm-hmm. prejudiced, uh, yeah. you know, on uh, with certain things? Well, clearly he is. Yeah. And 
the Constitution should be the number one thing, and for him to claim that, you know, it's settled precedent, that doesn't even mean anything. <clears throat> There's no such thing as settled precedents. Things have been overturned. Mm -hmm. We're watching, it's one of the horrible things about getting older, <laughs> is you watch history, you watch something that's been battled for decades. Yeah. And when you think the battle is over and then suddenly it resurges, you're like, whoa, <laughs> are we still talking about Roe versus Wade? Are we really still talking about this? If y'all want to come up with some science mm -hmm. to support a different position, that's great. But the idea that women shouldn't have control of their own bodies, it, it seems like a fairly basic idea. And oh, by, by the way, the Supreme Court already said, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, it's really, really horrible. Guillermo, do you have any thoughts about this or just living in the age of Trump? Um, I just think it's kind of curious how everything keeps kind of repeating itself. So we're seeing kind of like the Watergate scandal happening now in yeah. this new age. And it's like, you know, the whole thing of people saying, like, it wasn't me, those White House correspondents. Right. It's, it's interesting to see history repeating itself, and I'm just kind of thinking, like, where is it going to all lead up to? I'm thinking that we're going to be taken over by Russia. <laughs> so <laughs> let's hope know. not. Yeah. We laugh, but yeah, <laughs> that's on the table. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of think that they already took over our media in some ways. You know, our public media. So yeah. I don't know. Well, I, you know, I'm empowered. You know, Barack Obama gave a, a wonderful speech. Um, I think it was Friday, mm -hmm. where he basically says, "Listen, we we still have power. You know, we still." Donald Trump is not the problem. He's the he's the result of the problem. Right. He's the fruit of the tree. Yes. But you know, if you if you're that upset about it, you need to go out and vote. You need to go have take some fiscal responsibility. Right. What does Martin Luther King says? Freedom is not freedom. Mm -hmm. Freedom is not free. Right. You know, we have to pay that price, and that price is being civically responsible, getting I, out in the I streets and doing something. Be. I mean, the other the other thing to look at with all this is. It's sort of the death throes, hopefully, the death throes of a mentality that just will not go gently into that dark night. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's so clear that young people don't agree with a lot of this old stuff, this, you know, these right wing positions. And it, it's horrible to put politics on it that way. There are plenty of young people who believe as the right believes. But in large on large issues, no, <laughs> they don't. They don't agree, and they won't. If they do vote, if we can get them to come out and vote, they will not vote for it. They will vote to say forward, future, progress, not go back. Right. <laughs> into right. the closet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Into second-class citizenship. Mm -hmm. And I still believe, I mean, <clears throat> Trump is president, but three million more people voted for Hillary Clinton. I still think this country is far more liberal than, mm -hmm. than we think. I mean, we don't see it on TV right. because we see – the yellers and, you know, the all right, mm -hmm. those are the folks that captured the news. But right. I really do believe that, you know, this is a very liberal uh, country. And so we can, we can easily correct, you know, right the wrong. Well, I don't know about easily, but it well, should yeah. be possible. I, I, I love that I get beat up by people on the left. I, I think those designations already get a little weird. But um, I get beat up. So lately I've been getting beat up about um, – well, I posted somebody. Somebody posted a graph, and it's a horrible graph. It's mm -hmm. not. It's not an accurate graph, mm -hmm. but it shows what the votes were 2016. Uh, actually, what it shows is these people voted red, these people voted blue, and this larger chunk than either of those groups, almost the same size. Like it was a hundred and yeah. it was like a hundred and four hundred and eight million people didn't vote for those two. So when people start quibbling about making the blue slice a little bit bigger mm -hmm. 
or worrying about the size of the red <coughs> slice. I'm like, mm-hmm. there's this huge slice that y'all are not talking about. So right. if you can figure out what's going on with those people and even get a few of them to swing in one direction, mm-hmm. then you're going to see change happen. But what is not going to happen, they didn't vote for Hillary. Get over it. They did not vote for Hillary. They may never vote for Hillary. Even in the face of Donald Trump, they did not vote for Hillary. Right. So stop telling us, and I say us because I'm one of them, uh, stop telling us that I got to vote. I will never vote for Hillary. I'm sorry, y'all. Donald Trump sucks, but you weren't offering something. Offer me something tangible that is different than what is now. And I don't mean now Donald Trump. I mean now 2016. Mm-hmm. Those people didn't vote in 2016, or they voted for other parties in 2016. They're not going to look at Donald Trump and go, oh, my God, I didn't know about this. A few of them will, but actually I think those are the people who voted for Donald Trump, who will go, oh, I didn't realize how horrible he was. Mm. I think there were a lot of other people who knew how horrible he was and still said, I'm not going to continue this. Yeah, you know, I think 2016 was a referendum on establishment, establishment for the left, establishment for the right. There were those who feel like you who voted for Bernie, and uh, I'm not sure who else was running. Jill Stein, yeah, Gary Jill Stein. Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Gary, and, Gary and, Johnson. Yeah. And a huge number of people who did not vote, who were qualified to vote. Yeah. yeah. Larger than either of the groups, either the Trump or mm-hmm. the Clintons. Yeah. So th- th- this is what happens. I mean, you know, yeah. um, you get what you ask for. Sometimes you, do, you get what you don't ask for, or, you know, if you don't. Some I to put a button on this because we really should move on. Mm-hmm. But I think democracy is like a kitchen. It's not like a fast food restaurant where you ask someone else to do all the work. Right. You got to get in there and fix it yourself. Right. And uh, that means being civically active and and taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. But it, it also means that those folks need to those folks exactly. that are trying to appeal to the electorate mm-hmm. need to take stock of who the electorate is. Yeah. And not just play the little numbers game. If I just get this many numbers, if I just get, what is it, 271 mm-hmm. in the Electoral College, which I think is horrible. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I, if I, as long as I get my 271, sure. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. That strategy didn't work. That's New exactly strategy. Right. We need a new strategy. And Claudia's pumping her fist. <laughs> 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 what did you think about the Nike Kaepernick ad thing? I don't know I if you have any I think it's going in our direction. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it is. What I love is, and I love the stupid thing. I, I, there are a couple of stupid stories that came up this week, mm-hmm. and that one's one of them, mm-hmm. where the right immediately said, go burn your Nikes, <laughs> to which people reasonably <laughs> said, if you don't want some of the best shoes on the market, <laughs> there are so many people who mm-hmm. need shoes, yeah. Yeah. why don't you donate your shoes? Which, of course, they'll never do, but it just points out how stupid this is. Sure. The other story, though, is the and, – and that black folks – stepped up, and mm-hmm. not just black folks, lots of folks. I'm going to go buy Nikes. Like, I don't buy Nikes, and I'm not going to go to buy Nikes. Mm-hmm. But you're tempting me now. If Nikes <laughs> threw a big sale, I might go buy some Nikes just for political purposes. Sure. But did you hear about the Black Police Officers Association Yes, that was in favor of the yes. ad? So there was, a, there was a police officer association that went against the ad, and they were like, hey, mm-hmm. you need to ban Nikes, right. just what you're talking about. And there's a black woman who is a captain of a police force in Baltimore, I believe. Baltimore, yeah. I think it was Baltimore. Who is also a head of the Black Police Officers Association. Right. Who is like, no, 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 we agree with Colin Kaepernick. We agree with the ad. And right. we officers have to take responsibility. I've been yeah. waiting for black cops to speak up. Yeah. And Any finally cops it happened. Too. Yeah, That'd yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, so that was fantastic. Uh, but the other one was mm-hmm. the uh, Trader Joe's, that Trader Joe's story. 
So this guy who'd been on the Cosby Show yep. five seasons. Oh yeah. Yes. And um, yeah. some and then p- uh, the victim in this is the poor woman. Mm-hmm. She recognized him, which yeah. is weird because you yeah. look at the picture and I'm like, except for his skin color, I don't know how I you recognize him. this guy. You, you have to be a real fan of the Cosby <laughs> she, Show. She loved it. She yeah. loved it. Yeah. yeah she was like, there you are. Right. Yeah. And and but he's bagging groceries at Trader Joe's. So she takes a picture and posts mm-hmm. it. Says, "Oh my God, can you believe this?" Well, the Daily News, I guess, picked it up, and then Fox News picked it up. And what was great is that social media then responded and went, y'all are shaming him. There's no shame in working at Trader Joe's, and there's no shame in the fact that the industry chews people up and spits them out, and you move on. You got a life. You, you mm-hmm. go on. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest response, I didn't even hear about the story until I heard about the response. And the response was overwhelming. They just said, no, you people are wrong. You are shaming him. And, you know, happy ending, if you believe in such things. Mm-hmm. He's been offered Tyler yep. Perry. Oh, right on. Yes, yes, yes. He's been yeah. offered a roll on. He's been getting some other offers. And he's, um, he's a Yale grad or a Yale student. He was uh, in the Yale program. Yeah. He, no, while he was doing all this, he's teaching Shakespeare. I mean, I'm like, I just got another offer of a job to teach mm-hmm. Shakespeare teach with the Shakespeare company mm-hmm. and I'm like okay so he's me only I never had five years on TV yeah. for anybody to point to and go well what are you doing now yeah and we've talked about the subject what happens you know like actors who make it and all that stuff and right how we felt about it as local actors in the theater mm-hmm. scene and you had mentioned in another podcast where you could either have a legacy of being the third or fourth shoe right on a big TV show <clears throat> Right. Or actually creating some wonderful and magical stuff on the local stage. Yeah. And how wonderful and how great, how grateful that is. They're, they're just different paths. And, yeah. you know, if you can get that job and pay your bills and buy a house and live the life in L.A. and you're happy yeah. being third. I like that third or fourth shoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're happy doing that, that's great. On the other hand. If you're a big man in a small pond, you're the big fish in a small pond, but you really feel like you are expressing yourself and something vital is happening, you know, so be it. What, mm-hmm. you know, what's wrong is to point to either of them and go, well, <laughs> you know, I wish if you, you wish you were somebody else. Yeah. Okay. You can always find the grass is always greener someplace else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what's been going on, and uh, we can talk about other things. We've got a lot of reaction from our last show. Uh, there was one who, yeah. who uh, I'm, I, well, I don't know if we need to refry old. Oh, bean, we but can. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you talked about drinking, right? And, and not had, drinking. Yeah, and not drinking. <laughs> and we had one individual who, to write back, basically saying if you were okay and just giving support to you. Right. I got a phone call. Yeah. One of the actors in our show apparently spends time on the road and was listening to the podcast, and he was like, "I just wanted to call and check and see how you're feeling." <laughs> and he says he's been sober for years. Um, I mean, that's how we ended up recording it. Is mm-hmm. our guest said, "Oh, I was sober for three years." I'm like, "Oh, I guess we're going to talk about this <laughs> on the podcast." Mm-hmm. Okay. No, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful connection where you have no idea how you connect to people, and we talk about subject matters that right. all of a sudden it's like, "Oh, wow!" They talk about something that's happening in my life. Like, you yeah. know, we've had a good friend of ours is going through something like that as right. well. So it connects to him as well. So that that's good. We also had another uh, writer talk about, basically, and she wrote a letter to the both of us. Oh, okay. A white actress mm-hmm. who uh, felt a little... Was it on SoundCloud? No, no, no. She wrote directly to us. Oh. 
on Facebook. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, email? Email. Oh, you didn't. I'll read a little bit of it. I'm not going to mention any names. Okay. Wow. Uh, but she felt like she's being left out? Oh, my gosh. Well, not left out, but basically she what? felt. Um, uh, so we, and it's funny because Reg, maybe that's why you were looking. Reg looked at our, our I don't know what not demographics, our, our numbers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, analytics. Yes. Mm-hmm. And was saying, wow, we're, you know, our, our numbers just keep going up, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, when we had Valerie Week on the show, she mm-hmm. said, well, I looked at your numbers, you know, looking at it from the counting actors perspective, yeah. and you're running like about two-thirds mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, okay, well, we'll look at that. Of course yeah. we will. Mm-hmm. But um, but I know that also I've talked to Reg about it because there are times when it feels like it's white person, white person, white person, white person. It, so it, I don't it, know that, how anybody that, could that be upset. completely dominates, yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, we – well, that you know, is the demographic. So yeah, that is demographic, and it's tough. And uh, to to ask a you know we talked about this, um, asking a man to come to a stranger's house to right. do a podcast is easy. Right. Asking a woman to do it can be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Our numbers are actually have gotten a lot better. We have sixty six guests. Mm-hmm. Thirty seven have been men. Twenty seven have been women. Mm-hmm. So we're moving that a little okay. bit up. Yeah. But here's the letter. So here she says, "I'm a bit fired up. I'm a woman who's acting with mentioned." Okay, that's a little um, – she's never done a play with specifically for a black woman before. Oh, she's talking about her co-star. She's okay. acting with an actress mm-hmm. who's saying, I'm black, and now I have a role that is written for a black woman and how right. wonderful and how empowered mm-hmm. she felt. Yes. Hearing that – I'm reading the letter again – has sent me on quite a journey. Part of this is maternal, once a mom, and the other part is that I've become very aware of my own privilege in the industry. I have an attached – a first draft of an essay. Okay, she wrote an essay. Mm. And she basically, uh, I'm not going to get too much into sure. the essay. I look forward to le- reading this. This yeah. is amazing. <laughs> but it's about feeling entitlement. So she, um, the point is, here's, okay, here it is. Then I'm a white woman in the blog post about white women not getting it. I'm the white woman who just got back into acting after many a year hiatus. And am somehow easily finding the roles that were written for a white woman exactly my age. Mm-hmm. I've always assumed that if there's a character description and race isn't mentioned, that meant me. And right. there it is. That's the thing. Right. That's yeah. the thing that yeah. punches yeah. me in the gut. Um, this black woman has never had that feeling. That's privilege. My privilege. Right. And yeah. she goes on and on and on. Coolness. And I wrote a response to <laughs> her, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but uh, basically I had said that um, – so I'm glad the woman is enjoying her roles as the black woman. Mm-hmm. And I feel very proud of um, – I'm not going to mention the production. Sure. Because yeah. just, um, we'll do it off mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, the company that, that is doing the play mm-hmm. are very focused on minority actors and sure. minority characters and minority writers and oh. diversity. And so – you know, privilege is a two-way street. So surreptitiously, we're going to mm-hmm. have to mention this wonderful company at some point. <laughs> we will. And we've mentioned this company beforehand. Cause oh, good. It is a wonderful company. Okay. Yeah. No, no, uh, that's fine. Uh, so, you know, uh, privilege is a two-way street. You can take privilege. Right. And you can give privilege. Right. If you're a company or if you're a writer or a creative. Right. You can create roles for diversity. Right. And you can take advantage of diversity. Yeah. And so it's a two-way street. So. Right. I don't think anyone should feel bad if you take advantage of that. I mean, as men, no. we ha- are uh, have privilege. We do it all the time. Sure. 
you know, if I'm parked all the way out there and we're working at night mm-hmm. and I got to walk through a dark parking lot, I'm a black man. It's one of the few times in America where being a black man is like, bonus, people walking by me a word, I'm going to jump them. Nobody's looking to jump me. Right. I um, I went once uh, to the neighborhood, uh, mm-hmm. neighborhood watch thing, you know, the monthly meet, the, meet your police. I went once. Mm-hmm. And they told me that between my place, my old place, and Fruitvale Bart, mm-hmm. uh, the 35th uh, Avenue corridor mm-hmm. is um, – is a huge place for muggings. Oh. I was like, oh. I used to occasionally walk that street. I stopped walking it because it was really empty, very brightly lit, and it was just cars going by. It felt desolate. So mm-hmm. I didn't walk it. Instead, I was going down a quiet little street that is dominated by a church, you know, mm-hmm. like one of the first churches in Oakland. Um, and at night, it's mm-hmm. a very quiet street, and it's dark, but it feels fine. And I realized I was just doing it for the, the ambiance. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so one, somehow I got on the street where the muggers aren't. Mm-hmm. But two, I'm a black guy. When I walk home from Bart, somebody who's looking for who, you know, and I don't dress particularly, you know, I don't look like I got a wallet full of money. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, but I didn't know that until I went to this meeting. And they were like, yeah, uh, muggings have been up recently. And I was like, there's muggings happening in my neighborhood? Oh, yeah. I'm oblivious to it. I yeah, that is privilege. Yeah. Now, Claudia, here's a question for you. Now, you're the artistic director for the Peter Pro- Peter Project, but how do you deal with, I guess, um, just privilege, the absence of privilege? I mean, I'm sure you've been an actress before, where you've tried to get roles and the roles weren't made for you, or have you have you had to battle that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think because also I'm very mixed. Yes. In my background, and so it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Like the good thing is. Mm-hmm. There are more boxes. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's still boxes. Right, right. There are boxes. So it, before there, w- there weren't black boxes, there weren't Latino boxes, there weren't Asian boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was the white box. Right. So we have boxes, mm. but that's still what they are. Yeah. So if you fall, whatever your, your own background is, right. that as you fall between the boxes or you're in a box they're not very interested in, yeah. then that's a big problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's one of the reasons the way we cast this play, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when people come to see it, yeah, I mean, it's beyond, non, remember, non-traditional right. casting. Yeah. It's, it's totally beyond that yeah. as, far as, as far as age, as mm-hmm. far as gender. Oh, wonderful. Everybody yeah. is, la- well, one person isn't Latino, mm-hmm. but everybody else is Latino from all different backgrounds, sure. from yeah. all different mm-hmm. variations on a theme <coughs> and a look. Yeah. So, but what I mean is, the young young girl is not necessarily played by the youngest character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Women are playing youngest c- kind yeah. of male. I mean, you get to make the decision. Sure. Mm-hmm. But with the name Jose, mm. Jose. Yeah. <laughs> we have a beauty contest contestant mm-hmm. with a mustache, sure. a guy. Right. So we've done that, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because remember we were looking Guillermo, Guillermo and I were looking at different shows and a friend one of my the women in the play mm-hmm. said wow I had this discussion with a choreographer friend of mine mm-hmm. there is a show because I've been so busy I haven't been really paying attention to other things mm-hmm. there's a show in New York it's at Playwrights Horizons mm. called Dance and I always say it wrong Dance Team Dance it's about a group of girls 13 mm-hmm. year olds who are in a dance competition but the cast 
the youngest person's in their 20s. Mm-hmm. The oldest person's in their 60s. Wow. They all play 13-year-old girls. Mm. There's a guy. Mm-hmm. They're different races. The guy happens to be African-American. The woman who plays his mom is, at least she looks white in the mm-hmm. picture. Mm-hmm. But it's all mixed up. It's like they cast the best people. Yeah. And that's what we, and it's funny because I didn't know about that mm-hmm. when I was doing it. I just wanted to cast really interesting, wonderful, mm-hmm. creative people. Yeah. And have the best people for the characters. Yeah. So that's because of, I, and I'm sure it is informed mm-hmm. by my experience and the experience of so many people. Yeah. That that's what we want to do. And I go, yeah. That's fantastic. Let's get into it. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the Peter Prita project. I'm looking at a Wikipedia article on Dolores Prita right here. Mm-hmm. And um, the first thing that jumps out, she's a, she was a Cuban-American columnist and playwright. And it says that she died in 2013. Her cause of death is not known. Is, that, is there a mystery behind that? It's not. It makes it sound very, well, it certainly was dramatic. But mm-hmm. I talked, I've been very, very honored, very mm-hmm. blessed to be able to talk to her sister. And her sister was with her. They mm-hmm. were very, very close. Mm-hmm. They lived in the same building, in the barrio, because mm-hmm. Dolores bought bought a building, bought her apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, they were part of a group of women mm-hmm. called Lips, which is Latinas in power, sort of. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And the sort of was from Dolores. She added that. Yeah. And there was a group of women who would get together. No, no, once a month, periodically, mm-hmm. for fun, for yeah. fun, for talk, like this. They have conversations, mm-hmm. they dance, they have music. Sonia Sotomayor was there that night. Wow, the future Supreme Court justice. She was already. She was, I think, by, by then she was the justice, but she was part of this group of women. And when she wow. could come, she would come. Yeah. They, she and her, Dolores and her sister, mm-hmm. Lourdes, left the party. It was mm-hmm. time to go home. They're walking home. And Dolores is one of the best nights of my life. Mm. She had so much fun. It was so wonderful. And then she told her sister, they're getting close to the apartment. She didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And maybe you should call an ambulance. Mm. She was still lucid in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. And she apparently was saying, she was, she was talking to the EMTs, and she was going, what an amazing night, these wonderful women, you know, these people that I could... Mm-hmm. dance and sing and have just this amazing time. Yeah. And that night she passed. Mm. So, I mean, it just, I mean, I don't know, we're not doctors, we don't know mm. those kind of pathology, but her sister felt it was some, it was a cardiovascular, mm-hmm. something, she wasn't sick. It was like, yeah, it wasn't like she had a disease and, yeah. and they knew that something was going on. Okay. But at least, she, I mean, there's that really painful thing. Mm-hmm. But she passed on one of the happiest nights of her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that well, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's sad that she yeah, left. Like and looking at her age, I think uh, she she died relatively young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the plot of the play, I mean, it's um, it's it's running from September the twentieth to the thirtieth. Yes. Um, and five five member cast. There's actually more. There's actually nine people okay. in the cast. Two are dancers, primarily, da- you know, added in primarily dancers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Seven actors mm-hmm. in the play. Yeah. Then we have musicians. Mm-hmm. We have three drummers. So it's a pretty... Mm. Nice. It's a big, it's a big group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like, you know, it's almost like a festival as, mm-hmm. as far as a play as well. And it celebrates her life. I mean, is that basically the plot of the, the play? 
It celebrates her work. Okay. So the first, it's made up um, the first before intermission. Mm -hmm. The first act is one of her plays that has, we have some other things going on. We have some sure. dance, we have some other things. Mm -hmm. And the second half, again, has what we're calling interludes. Yeah. That the other playwright and I created from her columns, from um, her editorials. Mm -hmm. So they're little vignettes. Nice. But there's a theme that runs through everything. Mm -hmm. And then there's the second play. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. You know, we had Richard Talavera on, and we mm -hmm. talked about the, the dearth of Latino plays, mm -hmm. and I just don't see enough of it. Um, and In the Bay Area <coughs> of all places. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's, that's, the th that's the great irony, because there is a great Latino community here in the Bay Area. Why do you think that is? You know, I think that it's um, been hard for some Latino actors to get together and to network together because we've had so many plays <coughs> which, you know, don't focus a lot on Latino issues, but we've had writers like Luis Valdez, um, you know, Culture Clash out here. Um, recently at the Mission Cultural Center, we did, um, um, it was called Memoria del Silencio en el País de la Eterna Primavera, which was written by a young um, playwright and actor. Her name's Linda Maria Giron. And that one had to do with the civil wars in Guatemala mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. the government, you know, both the U.S. government and their involvement, mm -hmm. you know, with um, supporting the coups um, <coughs> and the government of Guatemala's own, um, you know, partaking in, like, silencing the atrocities that they were doing, killing off, like, 250 thousand people most of this indigenous um so it's like we have these great stories that we're bringing out we just need to find the spaces the times and the funding to like start putting their work out there and i think that's one of the um greatest things that i've been able to do while being at the center and i've been there for six months is i've tried to put um new shows on there mm -hmm. that you know are exploring different stories that are particular for the latino community um, and that was one of them. Um, and I know that Linda Maria Giron is working to start creating a database for Latino artists in the area um, to start networking together, to get stage managers together, to get, you know, actors, technicians, designers, um, directors. Because, um, you know, it's like as we get into, like, specific casting, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we run into different issues where it's just like, are we, you know, announcing it enough? Are we getting enough of the people? And then sometimes one thing that I often think about is when you come from a marginalized community where you're not represented as much, you don't have the opportunity to um, build on your work, you yeah. know, to, like, get more practice. Mm -hmm. um, recently, for example, I was in some auditions for Love and Pride, the musical, which is an all-LGBTQ play. And, you know, we had this um, one trans character or this one trans um, person, actually, mm -hmm. who was coming into audition and um, they didn't have very much acting experience at all. Mm -hmm. But it was because, you know, them as a trans person, right. mm -hmm. they don't have the opportunity. Yeah, to yeah they, were, they simply weren't being out. cast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So and it's like, you know, we're working with like the potential of having this character or this person who fits into this character, um, this um, trans character, you know, fits well into it in terms of their own story, um, what they're bringing to the table, their experience, but they don't have as much experience acting. And then mm -hmm. we have some of these other, you know, 
white actors who are coming in and they're singing, they're dancing, they have, you know, they're yeah, <laughs> yeah. doing splits and everything. Sure. And so it's just like, you know, w- what story are we presenting and sure. who do we want to have present the story? Yeah, and that talks about diversity. I mean, that talks about uh, the, the whole privilege. Uh, you know, you have a, <coughs> excuse me, a casting director or, you know, a production team. Are they concerned about diversity? Are they concerned about growing talent? You may not have. I mean, we're seeing it here in our, our production that we're doing, Foreman in Paris, where you have some veteran actors, but you have some actors who are a little green, and that's fine. And, you know, the purpose is to grow talent. Mm-hmm. You know, can you, uh, I'm looking at Norman, but I'm sure you can talk about that. Well, what I would say more is um, it's funny because when you mention, like, Culture Clash and folks like that, um, Marga Gomez was just in um, – King of Cuba mm-hmm. in, uh, at Central Works in Berkeley. Um, but I remember first seeing her in the mission. Um, there was that period, that era of this just fervent, all kinds of, st- you know, all kinds of spaces, all kinds of talents, all kinds of things. But there was also an audience that was primed for it. And what I find myself often stumbling against, um, I got recently offered a job or somebody got a grant. And so we've been talking. And they said, oh, that stuff you gave us, we got the grant. And I'm like, great. So we're going to bring in these migrant workers to do the writing process, the each one, reach one okay. uh, yeah. playmaking process. Okay, but they don't really speak English. I'm like, okay, so there's a huge problem because I don't really speak Spanish. So you want me to lead a class where I would have an interpreter helping me? And then these people are supposed to be one-on-one. So I think you should get Spanish speakers for that, but maybe they should be bilingual because I'd be speaking English. The more we started breaking this down, the more I was realizing what you need to do is find somebody who is comfortable teaching in Spanish. That's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. I maybe just don't get a job. That's okay because if you put me in this position, it's going to be horrible. Um, But you have to – it takes a whole community. It's not just finding the talent. You have to get the word out to that audience base. You have to have a community that's going, oh, my God, have you heard about that show? I can't go for whatever reason, but you should go see that. You know, when you get that kind of buzz, which I do remember in the like in the late 80s, early 90s in the mission, it just felt like it was everywhere. And now with gentrification, which is the other mm-hmm. leg of this yeah, conversation yeah. in the mission, it's horrifying. What was it? Was it San Jose that just um, had a mural painted over? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and it's always done with this sense of, I didn't know. I didn't know that was important. Oh, maybe mm. I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should do – maybe I should do something to fix it. It's like, um, you mean you're, you're not worried about people coming and tearing your building down? Because <laughs> that's what should happen, you crazy person. You, you know, what a, what yeah, a so horrible – Yeah, it's a disconnect of a community. Yeah. You know, just ask, ask somebody in the community. You're like, what do you think about this mural? You know. <laughs> It's funny you mentioned that. So a good friend of mine, David Stein, he uh, wrote a play where he needed two migrant workers. He's writing about ICE. Mm-hmm. And I felt strange because I played one of the characters, and, of course, I don't speak Spanish at all. Right. And his play was actually accepted, and it's going to be a part of a showcase in November. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you mentioned a database. A database would be fantastic where people Ooh. will know, oh, I need you know Latino actors mm-hmm. and directors and playwrights. If there's a resource where they can find that, that'd be fantastic. So, um, uh, Claudia, well, I'll ask both of you. Um, how did you, 
How did you get to work in the, the Bay Area? I mean, what, what's your, uh, we usually do an origin, origin story. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'll leave it up to either one of you. Like, how did, how did you begin theater? Beginning theater, but it wasn't yes. here. Okay. That's fine. Wh- where are you yeah. from? From New York. Okay. Originally. All right. So if you're going to, going to like first, like yeah, first, 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 first time, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. first experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. My mom was a dancer. Mm-hmm. My dad was a visual artist. Okay. So my mom danced in a dance company. And then the bad teacher, you know, she had class. She had kids' classes. Mm-hmm. And we were in, we were so little, I was like four. Mm-hmm. It was their creative dance, you know, before like pre-ballet. And we did a show. We did a performance. Mm-hmm. And what I remember was being a plant and growing. Mm. That, that's, I actually can still, you know how you can still have those crystal memories when yeah. you're like, you know, when you're a kid. <laughs> and yeah. that was a growing plant. Mm-hmm. And I was too young to be nervous. Mm-hmm. And apparently, people in the audience really liked me. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you go off and you do your little, your little thing. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to come back at the end, you know, when all the kids take the bow with the big kids. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what part of New York? Because I spent five years in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Bronx. In Manhattan, way like 100th, like mm-hmm. 100th and West End, okay. 100th. Amsterdam. Very yeah. nice. Guillermo, how about you? How did, how did you begin? Um, so I began in fourth grade. Are you born <laughs> and raised here? The bank? No, not born and raised. I was actually, I came here five years ago, okay. barely came five years ago, but my experience with theater was... Mm-hmm. Wh- where are you from? Me? I'm from Rialto, California, so okay. Inland okay. Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up very shy, very shy. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to speak a lot. Um... You know, as a Latino first generation, I was always the person to talk for my parents. Mm. And I was the person, you know, like translating everything, mediating between everything. You know, teacher said something. Mom, this is what teacher said. Yeah. Um, And, you know, for one reason or whatever, um, I was still very socially quiet. I felt like I had all this sense of responsibility, Mm. but I was still very much of a quiet person and very shy. And even though I had been going to the same school for like five, six years and knew all my classmates, Hmm. I still didn't really hang out with them. Um, And my fourth grade teacher, she noticed this about me. She noticed that I was just kind of like really quiet, reserved, and she was brand new. And she said, "Um, you know, we're going to have an open school all night. And we're going to be doing a play for this class, for her first grade class, her first year teaching. And, you know, she tells me, she's like, you're going to have one of these parts. And it's one of the bigger roles. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, mm, I don't really want to <laughs> do this. <laughs> um, but I ended up doing it, and I ended up falling in love and finding out how to, like, start to express myself and feeling more comfortable to start speaking. Um, then I started to take off with that. And I decided that I wanted to study uh, theater when I was going to go into college. But then the recession hit. Mm. Um, so that mm. kind of tracked me away. But one of the best blessings of that experience was that I um, ended up going to community college, ended up doing some shows there, and then I ended up being able to transfer to Berkeley, which was my dream school. Mm. And so then mm. I came out here to the Bay Area, and I absolutely fell in love with it and um, met so many wonderful people that I've been working with that I've just gotten um, – worked with like um, Sean San Jose for example Mm -hmm. that was an amazing experience we worked on um, culture classes show Chavez Ravine and it was the first time that 
culture clash hadn't actually done the show themselves and it was mm. you know oh, yeah, given off to somebody else and it was like oh wow um so i've just had like really great experiences out here and you know started to find like kind of like this theater community that's like much more welcoming and open and there's more opportunity than back in socal and socal well you know in the inland empire not as many opportunities at all <laughs> so it's been great fantastic claudia what brought you to the bay well, actually, my family had moved here. Okay. So I had to go to school back east, but there were family things. And then just, you know, you start getting, you start finding your world. Mm-hmm. And you start finding your community. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, that's where I've been and grown. And mm-hmm. This company, now, the, the Preta Project, uh, the company that you're, is this Mission of the, I'm sorry, is that Latina Arts? I'm trying to read this. That's it. Mission, Mission Cultural Center. Mm-hmm. Are you are you the artistic director of the Mission Cultural Center? No. Okay. No. <laughs> J- just just of the pre- or just of the Preta project. Just of the Preta yes. project. Yes. Okay. Um, are you so how how long has this company been? I guess um, is 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 this is just a company just just producing the Preta project and then that's it, or is it something something bigger? It's like a combo. Okay. Okay. Because it is, and and Guillermo has been wonderful since. I mean, it, it, there were things before, but he's really, really been a support to live theater mm-hmm. and developing that at Mission Cultural Center. Um, I've done. I mean, my dance company is based there. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of connection mm-hmm. with Mission Cultural Center. Mm-hmm. We were actually talking about some other. There were some other smaller projects, mm-hmm. and then there were some opportunities for grants. Mm-hmm. So through Mission Cultural Center, and that's actually how I met my co-playwright, mm-hmm. Rosa Pocher, mm-hmm. because she was the grant writer for Mission Cultural Center. Oh. So then we got together and did this. So this is it's this project is in a sense it's its own independent project co-produced with Mission Cultural Center, mm-hmm. but we're certainly hoping to go forward. This is like the beginning oh, nice. to grow. Right yes. on. No, that that's uh, fantastic. Um, Norman had mentioned gentrification. Is that one of the issues with Latino theater uh, just growing? I think uh, is because money is always an issue. I know that there are other minority companies that have had uh, not a problem at all with getting funding and finding a space and all of that stuff. But has it been difficult? Um, just I don't know financing what you know uh, a theater in your in your opinion. I think it has because, I mean, just like the people that would come to the theaters, like you were saying, Norman, in the mm-hmm. 80s and the 90s, right. are no longer there. Yeah. You know, all of them are now moving out here to the East Bay and, you know, not even to, like, Oakland yeah. anymore. We're talking, like, Vallejo. Um, yeah. You know, so they're moving pretty far. So now we're, you know, it's like we have these great, um, this great programming, mm-hmm. but the audience that we're trying to – reach or you know that we've been traditionally reaching is no longer there yeah so it puts us in a really weird place where it's like do we now kind of cater to this new audience that's not necessarily like latino Mm -hmm. but you know that now is in the area yeah you know or are we still trying to like you know um hold on to this sense of community Mm -hmm. when it's like stretching out further so I think it just complicates it, um, and now we're dealing with different problems that I don't think that we had back then when we had much more of a solid community, and you were able to, you know, say like, hey, I want to produce this. Cool, let's just go, you know, ask Ricky down the block, and mm-hmm. Ricky knows how to do this, yeah. and, 
you know, and then next thing you know, everybody organizes so much more quickly and efficiently, and now it's a little bit more like stretching out and trying to see who you're talking to on mm-hmm. a different level that you didn't have before. Yeah. What a shame, because you would think that if you just have a, a great story, although it deals with Latino issues, it shouldn't matter that you know people will come anyway. Like when I wrote Four Men in Paris, I didn't think, well, I need to adhere to the black community. I was like, well, listen, any community would, would be drawn to an engaging story. But I guess you do have to think about that. You have to think about, okay, the audience has changed. You know, do I change the way I write stories or I produce theaters? Uh, it's, it's a horrible thing. I mean, it's a, it's a challenge, I imagine. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the good things about theater is that you get exposed to so many different cultures and diversity and, mm-hmm. you know, get exposed to that diversity that, um, you know, we would want everybody to see the shows and we don't necessarily always want to be catering to one specific, you know, demographic. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But, um, but you know, at the same time, it's like you want to show authentic representation also. Sure. It's, yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Right, you, have to, you have to make it a selling point. You have to find some way to, to mm-hmm. like if you said, hey, going to tell you a story about a little old lady who sat in a bus station while she was on her way to visit her family. Okay, not exciting. Mm-hmm. But you say trip to Bountiful. And you make it this exciting idea and this tour de force mm-hmm. for this actress. And suddenly we go, oh, well, what's that about? Because you can't say these are Latino issues. Mm-hmm. These are stories that affect us all, that are mm-hmm. a part of our all of our worlds. It's just coming from a perspective that we're not used to seeing. And that can be a positive. That can, you know, that should be a selling point that, hey, come and see this exciting story about the coups. Oh, you didn't know about the coups. Oh. Okay, well, you know, that's part of it, but it's an exciting story. Come see the story. Mm-hmm. And it's about the relationships. We were talking about memoria, about the <laughs> relationships, about, you know, there's a, there are a lot of things, and it's also, you know, again, for this whole balance and how we work in society of seeing people who look different, mm-hmm. but they're telling a story mm-hmm. that should be able to touch everyone, and what can that it's not going to happen. People see a play and then, oh, now, now everything's different. Mm-hmm. But what what kind of conversations, what kind of realizations can people start? What, what can that engender? Exactly. And that doesn't happen unless you put the play out there. You know, you have to put a seed in people's minds. And you're absolutely right. Although it may be a Latino play or a Latino issue. I mean, a lot of these issues are issues that we all deal with. Right. Mm-hmm. When you talk about cultural diversity, you know, as a black man, I have to deal with that as the same person as a li- way it's a Latino. Oh, well, although in different ways, well, but yeah. it's still the same, the, the same battle. Yeah. 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 Well, so with the Prita project, is it just her work, or is it more of a celebration of the sort of artistic energy? I would say it's both, mm-hmm. because what we, we we wanted to do is pull these pieces together with mm-hmm. a theme, mm-hmm. so that if people come, and she wrote a lot of surreal. There's definitely that element. Mm-hmm. Um, but that these things are put together thematically. Mm-hmm. They are celebrating her, but they're celebrating her through her work. Mm-hmm. Because she never did. She never was somebody who talked very much about herself. Mm-hmm. She didn't write characters that were up like, this is Dolores. We actually have a character playing Dolores. Mm-hmm. But she herself was like really low-key, mm-hmm. really, you know, did her work, did her stuff. And so... We want to celebrate her life, but celebrate it 
because of the themes she talked about mm -hmm. and some of the other things we've been saying that one of the plays was written in 
of Cuban-Americans um, featuring playwright Dolores Prida. Um, any uh, last, I don't know, just something Enticements. that the audience would know. Enticements, yeah. Um, well, because music and dance mm -hmm. are such such an integral part mm -hmm. of Cuban culture, yes, that even her writing, not where she put music, mm -hmm. there was always a poetry and a musicality. Mm -hmm. So we've included that, but we've also added, like we have live drummers. Mm -hmm. There's We have two different choreographers, uh -huh. Temis Dogles Fuentes Bedincor, mm -hmm. who has done folkloric, some of the salsa, there's a rumba, mm -hmm. and also Karen Puerto, who is known as Omi. She's done, there's a production piece, it's more of a cabaret, like Cuban cabaret. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different aspects mm -hmm. that people would be interested in different people and she herself just just to touch when you talk about the difference within mm -hmm. the different like Latino cultures with Cuban culture and I think particularly because so many people came because of the revolution yes there still are these huge like she actually is a representative of somebody whose family left but her own politics mm -hmm. were were much more, and again, we get to left, right? Mm -hmm. but, but she was much more to the left. Mm -hmm. She didn't do that. No, my family, because my family had come before the revolution. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole, even within that, right. there's different, there are differences. And then I think that this piece, it, there's a lot of humor. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Um, but it also, because it's about that search for identity, mm -hmm. about that search for connection. And but she was also very humanitarian. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just, oh, it's about Latinas and that's it. Right, you know, right. forget it. it w she, she always opened up to everyone. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like it's, 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 it's more than just a play, but it's a party. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it sounds like people can dance. There's music. There's, you know, you get two um, small, I think, two one-act plays, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it sounds wonderful. So this is the Frida Project, and we'll have a, pl a plug. Uh, there, I'm sure there's. Uh, we can go to missionculturalcenter.org. Is that where the website? Yes. yes. Okay, fantastic. September 20th to the 30th. So we'll plug that. Shout Thank outs. You. 20th to the 30th. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> How many performances? Seven. Seven. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Shout outs. Birthdays. Mm -hmm. uh, Anna Schneiderman. Schneiderman. <laughs> Getting all those sounds in my mouth. Um, it's her birthday today. She runs the flight deck in downtown Oakland, which is just becoming huge. And today would have been Luis Orpeso's 75th birthday. Wow. Yeah. Feliz cumpleaños, Luis. He's, he's, it's amazing. Um, Lauren English Clark. Every time I see her name, I'm like, um, she's um, part of uh, SF Playhouse. And I say yes. part of because it's hard to categorize her. She's been an actress. She directs. She's definitely part of, you know, putting everything together mm -hmm. there. Uh, Siobhan Doherty, who does our casting at yep. Each One Reach One, but is also just a theater artist, um, performer, actress. Uh, Juliet Tanner, actress. Josh Pollock. Josh is in The War of the Roses at Cal Shakes right now. Hmm. Um, he, we were talking because we went to college together. And um, – and he said, it's weird. I guess I feel like I've hit this age where suddenly, where for years, nobody was paying attention to me. He was um, part of the band in uh, the Black Rider at Shotgun Players at the beginning of the year. He keeps getting picked up for these projects where he gets to do weird music, which is his love, <laughs> and theater, which is his love. So mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. Uh, Trevor Allen, major playwright, um, Bay Area playwright. I say major. 
I'm sure Trevor would say no, no, because, you know, he's um, his plays have been done all over the place. Uh, his birthday is Wednesday, and he wrote a series of monologues for the 49-mile thing in San Francisco. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he went around and found out what the 49 were and <coughs> wrote these monologues. And so he's um, recorded them, and he keeps saying he's going to get it edited. Oh, in fact, that's what – for his birthday, he's asking people to donate to the Black Box Theater Company, which is his company, mm-hmm. um, so that he can get this project finished. Uh, Michelle Cordero Myers is um, an actress that I knew way back in the day. She's teaching yoga now. I, I think she's she keeps saying she hasn't been back on stage for a while. Ron Obergon, his birthday's coming up Thursday, uh, a Bay Area actor. And is that all my – and Abby Roan. We were talking about Abby. Rich yep, and I were talking uh, about yeah. <laughs> um, In Four Men, there are a couple of guest uh, little cameos. One of them is uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, and the other one is Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Abby played Martin Luther King for us, yeah. and he was so frustrated. He played other roles, but that character walks in, says almost nothing, and then walks out. And Abby kept saying, you have Martin Luther King and you're bringing him on stage and you're not having him say anything? To which I responded, all you have to do is say Martin Luther King and every American suddenly has a tape go off in their head. I'll have a dream. (laughs) So I don't need to put it in there. It's already in their heads. Mm -hmm. But anyway, those are our birthdays this week, our theater birthdays. Happy birthday. Yep. Uh, And I've got a couple of folks. Um, Ben Couch, who uh, he uh, was on The Gay. That was episode 17. He also uh, participated in the Four Men um, um, read-through. He uh, was uh, Francois for a little bit. So he's a fantastic actor. His birthday is sept- Sunday, this tomorrow. On Monday, Caitlin Everson, I shared the stage with her at the DNT. We did Skin of Our Teeth together. Um, an old high school friend who is also an actor, Kevin Howie, his birthday is um, on Monday. On Tuesday, the former director of Ray of Light Theater, Shane Ray, Oh. Um, one of the, uh, I think, originators of the Ray of Light Theater, which and they're doing fantastic work. His birthday is on September the 11th, Tuesday. And you mentioned Abby Rohn, so you took that away. I um, did. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how about uh, theater productions, shows? Oh, there's so much coming up, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I don't have any. Don't have them like in a nice easy category. Uh, for color girls, we'll start next weekend. Wow! Uh, and uh, Elizabeth Carter is directing that, and she's very nervous. But you wouldn't believe the amount of just the buzz that started going out in this when it was announced they were doing it. So mm-hmm. um, that's something that's being looking looked forward to. Dirty Butterfly with uh, that's right. Um, Anton Well. Anton's well. Anton's yeah. well. In fact, yeah, I guess you and I have to talk about Kim. <laughs> yeah, Kim. Uh, um, Kim. Um, re- yeah. Kim Donovan. Kim Donovan, yeah. Uh, Kim Donovan is an actress. There's uh, three characters in this play, uh, Dirty Butterfly. Uh, Anton's Well, I like Anton's Well. They specialize in these modern plays where there's a lot that is kind of left up to the production mm-hmm. to define. In this case, it's not clear if it's two people having a conversation three people somebody overhearing the dialogue just flows back and forth and so they've literally had to go like line by line and sort of decide what they're doing with it uh kim donovan is one of the actresses she's also in four men mm-hmm. so uh we'll probably have her on sometime soon yeah we talk love about to have all her on. of that yeah exactly but yeah so um that opens two weeks i think uh, dirty butterfly yep yeah 
Um, I'll also push. We pushed it last week. Uncle Vanya Cunning Ball Theater that opened. Oh, right. um, that opens September twenty first. Uh, closes October twenty first. Also, uh, Kiss uh, by Shotgun Players that is open now until September twenty third. And I think that's it. And of course, I'm going to plug in Four Men in Paris. Uh, that will be October the twelfth through the fourteenth. And we'll be plugging that, you know, until it opens. And of course, we're going to plug the Frida project. project. Thank you. Um, and if you have some that you want to throw out, feel free. Mm-hmm. Other things that you know are coming up soon. Um, so I know that Love and Pride, which had workshopped in the Mission Cultural Center back in June, is going to start um, touring. And their first stop, I think, is going to be at the LGBTQ Center in San Francisco. And those dates are in October. I believe October, um, oof, the 10th of the October. <laughs> the late 10th. <laughs> Sounds like second week of October. What, uh, Love and Pride, what company is doing that? Love and Pride is by Theater on the Cusp. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's being directed by the playwright um, Siren Jordan. Mm-hmm. So, um, so basically, like the San Francisco version of Rent. Nice. That's a lot more queer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how about you, Claudia? Yeah, any shows that you're looking forward to seeing? There's well, most of them you guys have already said. So cool. well, I knew that one. Well, oh, that one. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, did, did you guys have Bendelstiff? Bendelstiff well, too um, has oh, something. Oh, I I just saw it this morning, and yeah, now I can't I can't scroll and find any of the details on it, but. I bet I can find it. Um, I know they just finished doing Stories High. Yeah, this uh, was after Stories High. There was something I saw, and I was like, wow, Bendelstiff's got something else going on? Hey. Yeah, um, let, me, let me just look at their calendar. Um, shoot, I'm not seeing anything. Okay. okay but, uh, yeah, the only thing they have on That's their okay. website we right now is Stories High. We can say Bendelstiff every week. That's but, fine. yeah, <laughs> no, Bendelstiff is fantastic, and uh, they uh, great Philippine um, company, great Philippine work and all that stuff, and Michael Dorado, who's in our play is a former member of Bendelstiff. And, case, yeah, and possibly about to join the board again. That's right. That's right. So, Guillermo and Claudia, did you have a good time? Yeah, this was awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I hope that we did a good enough job in bringing up exposure to the Frida Project, you know, Cuban-American uh, theater, you know. This, this is about diversity. That's what it's um, all about. It is also, since it's uh, maybe too late now, but Counting Actors, I love putting that out. Oh, yes. Uh, um, if you haven't gotten in your submissions for August, you should get them in. I think I think the cutoff may have already happened, but that's okay. They'll add it into the next mix. Just making sure that we know what what the gender diversity is of our Bay is stages, mm-hmm. you know, on stage and behind the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. I think they count directors and mm-hmm. stage managers and um, playwrights yeah. as well as actors, just to make sure that we see what our representation is. Yep, cool. Any anybody can you can nominate anything. You can report. I think they call it reporting. Mm-hmm. You can report on any show that you've seen or that you've been involved with. Cool. Great. Claudia, did you have a good time? I had a wonderful time. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you both. All righty. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You can also find the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store, use the search engine on the upper right-hand side, and search for the Yay. You'll find us. For Android users, download SoundCloud or um, download the SoundCloud app or just Go on SoundCloud.com and search for The Yay. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to produce or advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. You can find me on Red Space Clay. You can find uh, Norman on Hoojahooja. 
And that's it. And we, we got to find a better sign-off. Sign <laughs> and we're out. <laughs> <laughs>